Welcome to Courage to Heal, a podcast where we explore the battles we wage within ourselves. I am your host, Ana Kandrueva, a psychotherapist and a mental health advocate. This is Episode 2, Bipolar, a Partner's Perspective. to all of you and welcome once again. It's great to have you here. Today, you will hear an interview with my husband, Ken, who will share his perspective as a loved one of someone living with bipolar. All too often, we focus on the person struggling with this illness and not on people around them, those who hopefully love and support them. For many people with bipolar, their romantic partner is the one most familiar with their challenges. So let's hear the partner's side of the story. Without further ado, I would like to introduce my wonderful husband, Ken Saldi. Ken, can you please tell our listeners a bit about yourself? Yeah. Uh, Well, I'm Anna's husband. Uh, For almost seven years, uh, we've been together for almost nine years. Uh, I'm an application engineer, which I've been doing for 15 years. Uh, I lived most of my life in Colorado. Uh, which is, you know, where we live now. I have two kids in college, and uh, probably most that I most identify with is I I am an identical twin. Thank you. Um, And Ken, uh, just to get straight into it, when we first met, neither one of us knew that I had bipolar disorder. Uh, So can you maybe tell me what your impression of me was initially? You were really pretty. (laughs) I really thought you were attractive. But... Um, more deeply, uh, you were interesting, you were intelligent, um, you were someone who I was proud to show to my friends and to my family. Um, overall, it was, you know, it seemed like a perfect match. Um, I did notice that you had some swings, but I just attributed it to, you know, part of your personality. Thank you. By that answer, I can tell that you know who butters your bread. There you go. Uh, so, so Ken, we found out that I had bipolar a few months before our wedding, about um, a year and a half into our relationship. Uh, how did that news make you feel? Quite honestly, I think I hid this um, from you. Uh, I was ecstatic. <laughs> I was so happy. Um, not for the diagnosis. Uh, in fact, I was. that's why I kind of hid it from you. I understood that you were terrified. You were... Um, scared, um, worried about that, what that meant for me, what that meant for your kid, for your son, what that meant for the you know public at large, for your job, everything. But for me, it put a face or a name on the emotions that I saw in you, the, um, the highs and the lows, the unreasonable attitudes, the, um, it just, it just, for me, it made total sense. And for me, as someone who um, is on the spectrum, it made total sense to me and was overwhelming, overwhelmingly joyful. But um, obviously, that's not what I, I told you. So that makes sense. Um, and I'm curious, did you ever consider not marrying me when you found out? It never popped into my mind, never once. So how much would you say you knew about bipolar back then, and what did you do, if anything, to learn more about it? 
Uh, well, you know, I knew it as manic depressive disorder. I knew it as something that Robin William had, Real, Williams had, and you know the the genius the genius comedians all had. Uh, it was almost like a trope of um, you know the true the true like almost physical highs and lows. Um, but other than that, I knew very little. Um, obviously, as you learn more about it, I learned more about it. And um, I did, you know, independent research. I investigated it. Um, you know, I learned the, I mean, the, for better or worse, the pros and cons maybe of it. How, you know, there obviously are, there are positives to it. Um, the negatives far outweigh the, the positives. But, you know, I learned, I looked into all that. And, um, but yeah, for, before before we had the diagnosis, I mean, I knew like a layman would, you know, I follow things. I know, uh, you know, I know the capitals of a lot of countries, you know, so I'm just following information that way. Um, and so I knew what, you know, I knew the concept of it. I knew what it was, but I definitely did not know how to deal with it or how to be with someone who had it. I think also I didn't know what... Um, um, the depressive episodes, I think, are more obvious uh, to the average person. I think they know what depression looks like, and I think you know, it would probably be hard to say that not, almost every single person on the planet has gone through it at some point, whether it be true depression or clinical depression or just sadness. But some people, almost everyone has gone through that. I don't think anyone has gone through the true mania and the the you know the antithesis of that. And that was the part that was uh, the most confusing, um, the most um, hard to understand, and also the most telling about who you were. So what were some of your initial fears? I think, if I'm being honest, most of my initial fears were centered around you. How does this change your identity? Uh, I probably, honestly, probably most directive, directing was how do you how does this change your life day to day? How does this change today? How are you going to handle it? You know, what does this mean about what does this mean about you and your own eyes? Right. For me, it didn't change anything about who you were because it doesn't. It's just. We, we're now figuring out who you were, if that makes any sense. You were the same before. We just now know what that is. So for me, <clears throat> there were no initial fears about um, about how I relate to you. It was literally – well, I guess, it, I guess it was, but it was more on your side. How do I keep you um, okay? Because the, the problem with someone who has bipolar – is the finding out that they have bipolar can trigger <laughs> a manic or depressive episode, right? I mean, it's it's part of written into the code of get of having the disease. Finding out the disease can make it worse in a way. Um, so that was that were my initial fears. Um, there were there were some, you know, how do I treat you long term? How do I best handle situations? Does this change how I um, 
argue with you or can, you know, change your mind on issues. And yeah, that, those were all, I think there were facts there. I think there's truth to that. And I think I learned that over time and I'm still learning. And let's be honest, I still haven't figured out how to change your mind on a lot of issues. You win a lot of arguments with me. Um, but yeah, the, the, my, my initial fears were almost entirely centered around you and about how this changed how you saw yourself. Because I could see that, especially seeing the, the um, before we had the diagnosis, the highs and the lows. Um, again, I could easily see this. And at that time, I didn't really know how to deal with it. So it, it, it could uh, trigger a catastrophic event, maybe, you know? I mean, uh, um, whether that being... Um, self-harm or um or the exact opposite um of the uh true mania going to a uh, far end so yeah that was my initial fears right I, I think it would be interesting for me to note that when i first found out uh for me the fears were about you uh yes i was you know afraid about what it means for myself of course but i was mostly uh, worried about you and about my son in terms of you know what what if i do something that hurts them um what i don't think it really crossed my mind that you would leave me uh because you are such a loyal person but i was afraid of how this would affect your life and my son's life for sure and so um i'm wondering is there anything you know now that you wish you knew back then well, yeah, I wish I could have diagnosed you myself and got and pushed you to get help. Um, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I wish I knew about more about bipolar. I wish I knew how to diagnosis or how to um, push you to get um, help. Uh, I mean, I mean, even now there are times where you know I don't want to say get to help. But it's the same thing. It's how do you deal with someone who has a true manic episode or you see it coming on? How do you um, divert that? Uh, that's in, within our relationship because I don't have bipolar. Um, it is definitely part of my job as your husband is to anticipate, to um, watch, and to, if I see it, to mention it to you. If I see it, I'm terrified about how it's going to come across because um, the truth is is that I could be wrong. Totally, I could be wrong, and I could just come off as a as a jerk. And um, if outside of the uh, of the of the um, parameters of knowing that I'm living with someone who has bipolar, um, I would be the jerk. <laughs> but um, in within our parameters, it's my job, and so sometimes I have to do um, and take um, a take that leap, knowing that there's a good percentage chance that I'm the jerk, um, and just have it be, and that's hard. So, what do I wish I knew back then? I mean, a, a whole bunch. I wish I could. I mean, I, I tr truthfully, I wish I could have helped you out earlier because you know there were a lot of years where you. Wasted your time, wasted our money, wasted, um, um, you know, you just had, you know, if, if you had gotten help earlier, you could be that much further along. So uh, that's mostly what I wish I could have, would have known. 
Right. Yeah, that all makes sense. And uh, for my listeners, just to clarify, uh, when Ken says, you know, he's afraid that he's going to be a jerk by pointing out that an episode might be starting, like one of the warning signs we talk about is if I start ordering a lot of things on Amazon. And so if he sees a lot of Amazon packages showing up on our doorstep, he will kind of first sheepishly tell me, you know, are you okay? Is everything okay? Maybe you're starting to be a bit manic. And, you know, it's an open conversation. Maybe the first couple of times I was like a bit defensive about it. But for the most part, I'm very grateful that he notices these things and that he has these concerns about me. And uh, Ken, I think this is a good segue into, from your perspective, kind of what were some of the toughest times that we've had together related to bipolar? Well, um, directly related to bipolar, um, there are two specific, uh, in my mind, crystallizing moments. Now, each of these had things leading up to them, so there's a, a spectrum of time, but from my mind, there are two moments. Um, one is when I truly understood the, um, this was actually probably before you were even diagnosed, I think actually both of them were. Um, but the first one was the um, spending a lot of money when I – I don't even remember th- – the thing about it, I don't even remember how I found out. Um, but I remember vividly you sitting on the couch on – excuse me, on the bed, and you telling me that we were multiple thousands of dollars in debt, um, and I did not know it at the time. I let you control the finances. You seemed on the ball. You were in a um, accounting position. I mean, it was very much that you knew more about this than I did. So I, you know, uh, let you take that, and I took other things. I, I sometimes fixed the cars, and you took care of the money, kind of thing, because you knew more about it. And um, you know, hearing your first interview, I, I think I actually found a little bit of information when you were talking about yourself, but. Um, even right now, I'm not quite sure if you were truly hiding it or you were just um, uh, thinking that you could get out of it or that, what there was going on, but it was a shock to me. I did not know that. And um, uh, I remember talking to you about it. I remember you telling me about it. I remember being incredibly shocked, heartbroken uh, that you would keep this from me. And that it happened. Um, but um, at the same time, I remember that vividly the next words out of my mouth were, well, we'll figure this out together. And we did. That was even before you got diagnosed. We, fi- we figured out how to, how to maintain that. Um, but you did have um, one evening that was, I don't even know what you'd call it, mental breakdown is probably the most um, appropriate or more, you know, common parlance, I guess, you know, what people would call it on the street. I don't know exactly if that was it, but, you know, um, it was an evening. Well, not an evening. I remember vividly still being awake at like three in the morning, finishing the conversation. Um, As you kind of went through a lot, you um, criticized me, you, about, you know, way 
way personal <laughs> over the top stuff. It wasn't just normal stuff. This was not appropriate stuff. But you also, you know, said stuff about yourself. It was just, you know, you were clearly going through something and so it was a tough night for me. That was probably the one of the toughest nights of my life actually. Um because it really made me it did, made me doubt whether you not only loved me but liked me. <laughs> um which was which was hard. Um, but I think that was the, uh, bottom of that. And so, um, those two times were specific times. There are, have been plenty of other times where, uh, you were having manic episodes, things, things that I look at now and think back about before we found out you you were you, you were diagnosed and that were really challenging um you know i i think of <laughs> uh, the listeners won't know this but uh my my beautiful wife will is, is neon trees we went to a neon trees concert and we had a huge fight afterwards that was uh i think ultimately in, inspired by me I think I was wrong, but I think it went way off the rails <laughs> far more than it than it needed to. Right, and that, I, that's I, that I, bipolar anger that I mentioned yeah. in my first episode. Exactly, where it was, it's like I was definitely wrong, but um, probably didn't need to go that far. So when I I think about some of the the toughest times, yeah, it's just it's times like that. It's it's. Um, it's times when I doubt whether, when I, when I truly doubt whether you love me or like me, those are the toughest times, which is ironic because, uh, like you just said, um, that, uh, you worried about me and that was never a thing. I never, I never worried about it. I never thought about it. I never even considered the fact of me leaving you over this, to me, it, it was like um, it was like if you had a, a disease or you you lost your leg, and that required me to help you open every single door, and that required me to push you on a wheelchair a lot. Would I leave you for that? No, something happened. It's it's a disease. It's it's a it's a condition, and we'll get through it. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I too remember those tough times, and I can indeed say they were tough from both ends. Of course, at the time, you know, with the money spending, like I said, I was manic, and I truly believed that I had such great ideas that they would pan out and we would become millionaires off of them, which looking back, of course, you know, doesn't make sense. And uh, I would add one more, and it's not so much a tough time as, you know, now we can laugh about it for sure. But at the time, it was really scary for me is when I had a delusion that somebody was living in our attic. Oh, I do remember that. Yes. Absolutely. I was convinced that somebody I was up I there. Literally had to, I literally had to go up there and show you yeah. <laughs> that there's no place for anyone to live. If they were living, they'd be dead. Uh, you know, I could, I kind of, and I had to go through with, with uh, uh, I used to work at a, at a major home retailer. Um, and so a major uh, hardware store. And so I knew enough about insulation and about attics that I had to go up there and explain to you how somebody couldn't live up here and I had to go through the logic of why that was it. And even then, 
I remember even after that, you still pointed out to me that you go, I don't believe this, but I still feel like there is somebody up there. Right, right. And that that's something that would be hard to understand, I think, for people who don't uh, get delusions like that, is logically, your explanation made perfect sense. I realized logically that, yeah, you're right, there's nobody there. But there was a deep feeling inside of me that there was this fear that, no, somebody's up there. Somebody's definitely up there. Um, so, Ken, I wonder, all of these tough times we're mentioning, especially with the overspending and that mental breakdown I had, uh, what did you tell yourself to get through those tough times? I think the biggest thing I told myself, I don't think I actually told it to me, it was just more the way I think. So it wasn't like a conversation I had with myself, but it was um, the idea that this was just a condition you had. And if you had um, a broken leg or – and that, that's why I always attribute it to. I always consi- can likened it to a broken leg because that's – I made sense. You know, if you had a broken leg, would you get medicine for it? Would you get pain medicine? Of course you would. You know, would we get a wheelchair for you? Of course we would. Would that mean you have to take some time off work? Well, of course we would, right? I mean, it, it, all of those things. And so uh, I likened it to that. And um, so – I think it was more subconsciously because I had already convinced myself of it, but it was, yeah, it, it was, it was just that. <clears throat> so it was, um, this is just something that you have, um, no worse or better than, uh, weirdly, um, maybe, um, having a tick or, um, uh, you know, I, 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 so that was that was the way I looked at it. I also looked at it like, um, um, what if you just had this this um, um, part of your personality that was slightly annoying, but, but I loved every other part of you, and I've tried to change this part, but it's obviously not going to change. Would I still be with you? Of course it would. It is what it is. So you know, it's like. Maybe you get drunk too early and you say too much stuff at a party. And so I always need to know that if we go to a party, I need to maintain and look out after you, right? That's something that a lot of couples might have or they might have something similar to that. I looked at it like that. It was just a part of your personality. Um, it required a lot more of me and more of on a day-to-day m- meeting, not just when we go to parties. Um but that's how I looked at it. So it was, you know, you know, we had already promised each other. We'd already loved each other. So and we'd already been, by the time we found out, we were already engaged. So I kind of knew that if something happened to me, I really believed that you would um, do the same for me. So um, in my mind, there was no, there was no choice. I had already made my choice. I had already made my choice when I asked you to marry me. Um, whether uh, you have this or you have something else, it is what it is. Right, right. It's it's that good old in illness and in health or in sickness and in health. Yeah. Um, so it really sounds like uh, likening bipolar to a physical illness helps you cope with the tough times that we've had. Um, mm-hmm. So is that something that you would recommend to other partners of people with bipolar to do? Absolutely. I mean, um, as you know, um, I've been, I haven't been diagnosed, but we believe I'm on the spectrum. Um, and 
for me, likening it, likening any mental condition to um, a physical condition um, helps, helps under, helps me understand it and helps me to think of, you know, I mean, it, it, the thought is, what if you have COVID? Did you get medicine for it? Should you take a, you know, of course you shouldn't. You'd be an idiot not to. Um, if you, and even if you had a broken leg, should you just walk on it and hope it gets better? No, no one would ever consider you to do that. So from my perspective, and from that perspective, it just helps because um, the brain is such a crazy thing. It's the thing we use to think about the fact that we can fix it if we do something, right? I mean, if we think about it hard enough, right? I mean, the brain is itself. So if you have something wrong with your brain, the way that it, 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 it just helps me to understand and um, maybe forgive some of the times where it gets hard. Because um, I think that's probably the hardest part about it is that if someone who has bipolar and you're with someone like that, they're going to hurt you. I mean, everyone's going to hurt each other. If you're in a relationship, there's always going to be pros and cons. And you know, even in even a relationship without it, everyone's going to make mistakes. Everyone's going to do something wrong. Um, so to get the idea out that you're eventually going to hurt your partner, that's going to happen without a doubt. With bipolar, it can be significantly worse because you're already going through something significantly difficult on your own head in your own head so for me it just helped deal with those times where it was difficult to get over because to me it was like again like you know if if, if someone was just if you ask someone to speed up walking with you and they just didn't care whatsoever and told you to screw off and never sped up, and you said it was really important to me, that would be hurtful. If you said it was really important to you, and the person was clearly with a broken leg walking on crutches and just physically couldn't speed up, you might still be hurt. I don't know the situation. But you try to – if you were a decent human being, you'd consider it and understand. And so that's the way I look at it. Like there, there are times where your condition does not allow you to treat me fairly and I'm just using those words. I'm, I don't want to say that's every time, but I'm just using those words in this time. And for me to go, you're not treating me fairly this time. I should be really angry with you. If I love you, it's kind of unfair because I know the situation and I know what you're going through. Or at least I know as much as I can about it. So um, during these really tough times that we've had, um, I think you kind of already answered this question, but I still want to ask it directly. Have you ever considered not continuing the relationship because of the things I was doing? Um, no. No, I never, I, I, I can just say that's who I am. <laughs> but that's, so that has much less to do with, with uh, you and your condition is much more, much more to do with me and my uh, thick headedness. <laughs> <laughs> that for better or worse, I made my my mind up, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, so if you killed half of my family, uh, we'd have to have a real thought, a real long conversation. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, obviously, there would be there would be limits, but um, uh, yeah, for I think that honestly has more to do with me. Um, 
Have I ever considered um, that this is really difficult? Absolutely. Have I ever considered that I wish you didn't have it? Absolutely. Have I ever considered um, that maybe uh, you were slightly different? Of course. Um, But no, I never considered ending our relationship. So uh, what are some of your biggest ongoing fears um, about me, about my bipolar? This is honestly, in my mind, the most difficult part of being with someone who has bipolar. This is the crux of the matter. This is so important because not only does it change, not only do I have fears, it changes how I have to deal with you, how I have to relate to you, how I have to think about you, how I have to think about things, how I have to look at what you're doing and put extra effort in. Do I do it every time? No, I don't. I mean, there. Are, I, I trust you and I love you. And to do that over every single thing would be ludicrous. Um, but like you said, if I see package come from Amazon, I have to think, oh, wait a minute. Okay. How long ago was the last package? How expensive do I think this package was? Do I think that you're trying to hide other packages from me? Am I, have I been paying enough attention to the last? If I haven't, this might've been the 10th package. And then even when I figure it out, it's like, when do I mention it? Is this big enough to mention? Um, you know, you have your own business, so there's plenty of times where you need to you need to buy ten things. And and honestly, we've gotten better at it. You've definitely told me we have conversations. You tell because you know, you know what this means for me and how I have to relate to you. So you say, hey, you know, I had to order uh, five things for uh, this course I'm doing or whatever. So, you know, I spent 50 bucks and there, but there's going to be five packages coming over the next couple of days. So don't worry about it. But then quite honestly, when you do that, I'm thinking, okay, is she being honest with me? Because again, I don't think that you're trying to hide. I don't think you're being dishonest with me. Like you're trying to get one over on me. I think there, but my question is, do you think, I ah, know I understand this better than he does. So I have to kind of hide it from him. I'm doing it for his sake. You know, I'm doing it for the sake of our family. Do I have to worry about that? Do I have to worry about, um, uh, you know, are you buying stuff when you're not there? Um, you know, I'm not really worried about your hypersexuality. Um, because, you know, that generally is just a benefit for me. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, that's not really a concern. I trust you with that. So it's not, it's not something I have to worry about. Um, but the money is, and, um, you know, it, it's, it's honestly not even about the money per se. Um, because even if you're buying a whole bunch of stuff that we don't need, that's cheap that we can definitely afford. Is that a lead into something more? So it's even even if it is small, even if it is um, just a few items, or I still have to worry about what does this mean for the future? Does it? Do I need to keep track of this? Do I not need to keep track of this? And it's all just because of the nature of your business and nature of my business. You're going to be buying stuff that I don't know about, that I don't have exact. Um. Um clarity on 
and everything, I'm going to have to trust you. That is by far the biggest worry because, um, and again, even, even besides the money, it's, um, you know, in any relationship, you have a certain amount of responsibility to make your, sure your partner's happy. You're not necessarily happy, but in a good place, right? You can't dictate whether your partner's happy, but you can absolutely say, uh, I can do this to make my partner happy or not. And so when you are in those situations, I need to make sure for not just my sake, not just for your sake, but for your son's sake, for my kid's sake, that you're going to be in a good place tomorrow or a week from now. So that's the biggest thing. It's um, the constant vigilance. Um, and more than anything about being with someone with bipolar, that's the worry. That's the concern. Um, I would think for other people that would be the hardest part. Um, because, you know, every, everybody gets into fights. Everyone says things they don't mean. And if you're really dedicated to a relationship, you you can move past that. Not always should, but you can. Um, but um, that part will always be there for mm -hmm. the rest of our lives. I will always have to pay attention to that. I'll always have to be more careful of that than the next next guy down the road will have to be. Right. Um, right. So there's this there's this hypervigilance there that always have to be on guard of, you know, is this a warning sign? Um, is this something we just went through? Is that going to be a trigger for an episode? Um, is this going to be a really bad time for us? And worse than something we've ever experienced before, and how how low is this going to fall? Basically, whether it's depression or mania. You know the the other the other part that's maybe kind of funny that really comes into this conversation is that um, you know women go through a, a monthly cycle that can also affect their um, their friendliness, their you know all those other emotions. I mean, hell, if I had if I had a whole bunch of hormones changing every month in me, I'd be all crazy. Uh, I, I don't think that I would be even close to uh, the average woman in, in the sense of uh, stability. You know, there, there has to be uncomfortable conversations because sometimes it's going to be that, but I still need to be vigilant. So sometimes I need to ask you, you know, about is, you know, and generally you're, you tell me, but it's your time of the month or whatever. Um, there's definitely times where I've asked you about it. Good thing is we have an open relationship so that it's not that weird. Um, but, um, if someone were to look at a relationship from the outside, they might view it as very, very weird. I'm literally having to, to talk to you about it and about how that emotions affect you. And thankfully you're reasonable about it and listen to me and understand that I'm not trying to, uh, blame you for anything that I'm just doing what I have to do to make sure you're safe. Because that, that's ultimately what it is. It's not just about money. It's not just about um, my happiness. It's not just about your son's happiness. It's, not just, it's about making sure you're safe. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. And I think you gave a really good overview of not only um, the fear that you have, but also how you support me in that that hypervigilance ultimately is a showing of love, that it's a way to support somebody is to watch out for their warning signs and watch out for those triggers and, you know, ask them lovingly, gently, um, 
hey, is, is this something that's happening for you right now? Or is there a different explanation? Um, because I know that for me, with time, it did become easier uh, being able to tell whether or not I'm in an episode. But, you know, especially having been stable for so long, if I were to start uh, getting into an episode now, I think it would be really hard for me to tell. And having your perspective there, um, having that outsider's perspective would be really helpful. Um, like one thing I mentioned to, to my listeners is somebody with bipolar is, or going through a manic episode is going to speak really fast. And that's something their loved one can notice uh, more readily than the person can notice themselves and tell them that, hey, you've been speaking way too fast lately. Um, I'm concerned about you. Can we please talk about this? And of course, it you know depends on what kind of relationship you have with the person, but if you are their romantic partner, I would think that there is a certain degree of openness to where you could ask them that question and um, have a, a good conversation about it. Well, you know, th that actually brings me back to a point. When you asked me to do this, there's a few thoughts I had, and I hadn't even brought this up. Um, is the um, one thing that, and I, I don't know if this is for everybody who has bipolar, but for you is when you have mania, you literally think that you can conquer the world. And I mean that literally, like you really feel that there's nothing you can't do. And then you tell me these ideas and I'm like, that's lunacy. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you have a one in a thousand chance of that happening. So that's not realistic. And have, having to smile and nod and listen, because at the same time, if I just dismiss it, you're in your uh, a manic mode. It's not going to be good if I dismiss it. So I have to acknowledge it. I have to, and then hopefully over the next couple of days, bring it back to the realistic idea that this is not realistic. This is, it might be good. It might work. Um, but we need to temper our expectations. Um, that's a huge part of it. Um, honestly, for me, that's my that's the the two triggers that I see in you are buying too much, and so that's the most that's really obvious. It, things come in the mail because that's how we live nowadays. The average person you order things online. If things come in the mail, it's easy to catch. And the other one is you starting to have grandiose ideas. And, um, you know, what is grandiose in my mind? Or maybe you're shooting for the stars, but you also have a good idea and you might be able to get halfway there. How do I, how do I weigh those out? How do I come in and the woman I love has these, has these dreams and I'm have to go, no, stop it. It, it's horrible. Um, and, and, and sometimes I'm wrong. I mean, that's the other thing is that, and even when it comes to all this stuff, is sometimes I'm going to be wrong. I, I have to, it's, it's all percentages and gambling and thinking ahead. But yeah, um, that's that's a big one for me. Yeah, that's a really that's really difficult because again, you're happy. You're so ecstatic. You are so happy. And how do I rein you in? Keep your happiness there because I don't want to take that away from you. No one wants to take that away from you. But I also can't. Uh, I can't 
I, I have to try to keep you because again, this isn't just an idea you have. This is if you if this fails, it could easily trigger a really bad depressive episode that would that would harm you. Um, that it could potentially cause us to lose uh, you know a, a lot of money. So from a um, pragmatic, we have to pay our bills at the end of the month kind of a way. I also have to look out for you and me and our kids and, and all that. Um, there's also the part of this just for my own sanity. You know, I can't have, um, I, I can't be giving into these ideas of, of these flights of fancy where it's so over the top that it's unrealistic. It's just a whole bunch of things. And at the same time, I also have to weigh that with keeping you, making sure that you're reaching for the stars and becoming your full person. Um, that's probably the hardest one because it's, even in the best case scenario, I have to step all over these things. Mm. Even if I'm doing it, even even if I'm right, let's say I'm 100% right, I have to step all over your dreams and bring you down to reality and then deal with the aftermath of that, which, you know, just from a, just from a realistic perspective, no one wants to make their partner upset and then have to deal with it. Right. If I don't have to, right. I mean, the re I mean, again, this is, I think I have to for the, for all those other reasons, but the reality is, is I could just let it go and it would probably be okay. <laughs> Sure. So, so Ken, to finish up here, I wonder, what would you tell my listeners who have a partner living with bipolar? Do you have any wisdom or any advice? It's it's so hard. Yeah, I mean, I have I have a lot of advice. Uh, I'd be, you know, I'd love to talk with every single one of them in person because it it um it every every single person is different. I guess probably the biggest thing is is if you love your partner. And hopefully this doesn't sound really, really rude, but it's not that big of a deal. And I mean that sincerely, like it's really hard to deal with it, but it's worth it. That, I hope that means a lot, not just to me personally, because that's my husband saying it, but I hope that means a lot to uh, my listeners who live with bipolar is that it is possible to be loved this way and our partners are our rocks very, very often during our lowest times. Um, so, Ken, I want to thank you so much for doing this interview with me. I know you are a captive audience in a way because you're my husband and uh, you may have felt like you had to. But thank you so much for talking to me about our relationship, about what it's like to live with somebody who has bipolar. I hope that it helps many people um, live better lives. So do I. Thank you all for listening to this candid interview. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave me a review. That would mean so much and be so helpful in spreading awareness about bipolar and other mental health challenges. Also, check out my free guide for loved ones of people living with bipolar disorder. It contains everything you need to know to help your partner or family member, and it's linked in the show notes. In the next episode, you will find a raw and powerful interview about bipolar and trauma. Until then, take care and stay courageous.